You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys will, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of Scripture this morning, it's page 979 in the Pew Bible uh, right in front of you. You know, church, getting my kids ready for school is an everyday battle. Now, depending on the day, some battles are harder fought than others, but they're still daily battles nonetheless. Generally speaking, the battle begins uh, with getting my kids out of bed, which sometimes requires turning on the lights, turning on loud music, and turning over their sheets. And the battle continues until the moment we're out the door. The battle truly does belong to the Lord. Now, our battle strategy is uh, repeating a series of questions or commands to keep my children moving toward the door. For example, you need to get dressed for school. Is your lunch made? Do you have your lunch? Where's your backpack? Do you have your backpack? Where's your water bottle? Do you have your water bottle? Where's your jacket? Why did you leave your jacket in school? Put on another jacket. It's cold outside. Do you have practice today? Do you have your basketball clothes? Where's your basketball clothes? I told you to put on your jacket. You need to eat your breakfast. There's no TV before school. Did you do your homework? You need to go over your spelling words. You can't play hockey in the house. Get off your rollerblades. Does everybody have everything? Guys, we're going to be late. For the love of Pete, put on your jacket. Every single day. Church is like herding cats. Now, even though the struggle is very real, we do our best to embrace it. Because as parents, you see, we want to make sure that our children have everything that they need to get through the day. We don't want to send them out unequipped or unprepared for the obstacles they're inevitably going to face. And so, church, in many ways, this is how God the Father takes care of his children. You see, he goes out of his way to make sure that we have everything we need to get through our day. You see, each day presents itself with a new set of obstacles to overcome. In fact, more than just mere obstacles, there are spiritual battles that we're going to face. And our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to face them unequipped or unprepared. You see, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so he said, So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need to be equipped when we go out. Because as God's sheep, we're going to face hostility from the world. It's inevitable. And so therefore, our only hope is to depend on our shepherd for guidance. And the good news is, our good shepherd doesn't disappoint when it comes to guiding us. You see, not only does God's word instruct us to be prepared for spiritual battles, it instructs us how to be prepared for those spiritual battles. And even equips us with what we need for victory. And so this morning... This afternoon, we're going to look at the first weapon in our spiritual arsenal. A weapon that we would be wise to put on before we walk out the front door every day. A weapon that will help us triumph over the everyday battles of life. And in doing so, we're going to be reminded of this important truth to remember. We must be tightly secured with the truth of Scripture. This is, this is so important, church. And so with that, let's just pray very quickly and then we'll hop into our study. Lord God, I want to thank you again for this morning. 
Thank you, God, for the opportunity to worship you, to come together at a different time of day, Lord. But, hey, it doesn't matter. The church, whenever the church is gathered, Lord, that's all that matters. And we're thankful that we can be gathered today to celebrate you and, and to get equipped for our week ahead. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fuel us with your word. Equip us, Lord, for the battles that we're going to face. Speak to us, Lord, and help me to get out of the way. And, Lord, help us leave here more prepared for, for those battles than we were when we came in. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So before we jump into today's passage, let's just briefly recap where we're at in our series. This is just week two in, in the series on the armor of God. Last week, Pastor Dan reminded us that there's this unseen war taking place in the spiritual realm. As we speak, there's a war taking place. It oftentimes is referred to as spiritual warfare. And it's this war in the spiritual realm that in many ways impacts what happens in the physical realm. In other words, the flesh and blood problems that we see or experience are almost always a result of a spiritual problem that we cannot see or experience. Dr. Tony Evans said this. He said, everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. He said, therefore, if your goal is to address some form of a stronghold, conflict, or trial in your visible physical world, you first need to address its invisible spiritual antecedent. You must investigate that which has come before as its root cause. What we see and hear and taste and touch and smell are simply the fruit and not the root behind our battle. We cannot ignore the fruit, but our problem is that we too often focus heavily on managing or attempting to overcome problems with the fruit, and we ignore the root altogether. You see, many Christians aren't living victorious lives because they're trying to fight spiritual battles using earthly means. They're attempting to treat the symptom without addressing the source. And so it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul reminded the church in Ephesus that we are in a spiritual war. And if we're to win the spiritual war, then we need to use spiritual weapons. The Bible calls these weapons the armor of God. And so for context purposes, we're going to read the whole passage on the armor of God, and then we're going to break down. We're just going to look at one piece of, of the armor this morning. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Follow along with me, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. See, as you can imagine, the Apostle Paul was well acquainted with Roman soldiers because their presence was commonplace in the empire. Likewise, a Roman soldier was probably even guarding Paul when he wrote this epistle from prison. And so this may explain why Paul used the most important pieces of a Roman soldier's armor to illustrate 
the main purposes of our spiritual armor. And so nevertheless, this morning, we're going to look at the, the first piece of armor called the belt of truth. And in doing so, we're going to learn three principles about truth, beginning with this. The provision of truth. Provision. God's provision of truth. Look again at verse 14. Just the first part. Paul says, Stand therefore having fastened with the belt of truth. You see, when a Roman soldier prepared for battle, he would lift his tunic and tighten his belt so his clothing would be held up when he charged the enemy. This prevented him, prevented him from tripping. In other words, when his belt was fastened, he had unimpeded mobility. But when his belt was not fastened, he had unimpeded vulnerability. In other words, he could trip himself up. He could lose things in the process. According to Paul, the very first piece of armor that gives you and me mobility over the enemy is truth. Because truth is what holds us up and keeps us from tripping. You know, serving as the chaplain for the troop police department, I've learned a lot about police culture over the last year. However, you don't need to be a police chaplain uh, to understand the importance of a police duty belt, right? The belt that the policemen wear. You see, a police duty belt carries all the necessary equipment needed for a police officer to do their job with confidence and power and security. It carries things like their handgun, their handcuffs, a taser, radio, and so forth. When an officer wears the belt, they're equipped for combat. In fact, they would never think about going on patrol without their belts because they'd be putting themselves in a position of extreme danger and vulnerability. Yes? Well, church, we need to adopt that same mind frame when it comes to the belt of truth, when it comes to putting on the belt of truth. Leaving home without it puts us in a position of extreme danger and vulnerability. And so this, of course, begs the question, well, what is the truth that we're supposed to put on or fasten? Well, Charles Swindoll tells a story of a man who, after a morning church service, stopped him. And he said, I waited to the end to talk to you because I have a question that may take a long time to answer. I want to know from you, what is the truth? I mean, I've heard you talk and I've listened to you preach, but what do you mean when you refer to the truth? And Swindoll described the man as standing with his arms folded, kind of hugging a Bible to his chest. And at once the pastor punched the cover of the man's Bible and answered everything in the covers of that book and nothing else. Later, Swindoll noted, he said, I don't think I've ever answered that question like that before. He expected a long answer, but to his surprise, and a little to mine, it wasn't very long at all. Scriptural truth is all that we need. Church, Chuck Swindoll was spot on. Undoubtedly, the truth that we must put on is largely a reference to the unchanging truth of God's word. Psalm chapter 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is what? Oh, you guys got to be better than that today. I know, smaller crowd, louder crowd, right? The sum of your word is? There we go, that a pepper. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Friends, God provided his word to us as a filter by which to view life. It's called having a biblical worldview. The more we read and study and meditate and apply God's word into our lives, the more discerning we're going to become during life's many, many battles because we're going to be viewing them from a position of clear and true perspective. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
You know, I have 20-20 vision. I have 20-20 vision, perfect vision. I've had it all my whole life. But last year, I noticed that my eyes were really starting to sting uh, whenever I looked at a computer screen for too long. And of course, the nature of my position here is I spend a lot of time in study and sermon prep, so I'm on the computer a lot. And so I noticed that by the time I got home, I'd be watching TV at night with Carrie, and I'm like, man, my, I'm just getting a headache. My eyes hurt just watching the, the TV screen. I should probably go to the eye doctor because I haven't been to one since I was like seven. And so I went last year. He said, and they put that stuff in your eyes that tortures you and, you, and it causes like temporary blindness or whatever. And then, but he told me that I still had 20-20 vision. The problem was, he said, you should probably start using some blue light glasses or blue screen glasses, I guess they're called, magnifying glasses when you're working on the computer. It helps with the sting. And I tell you what, church, seeing things through these new lenses has dramatically reduced the sting of when I'm working. And church, that's exactly what happens when we start viewing the spiritual battles of life through the lens of God's word. The circumstances may not change, but the sting of those circumstances will certainly change. It'll lessen the sting. On the other hand, when we choose not to view the battles of life through the lens of God's word, we're dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. Why? Because the belt of truth, without the belt of truth holding us up, all the other weapons in the armor of God, they fall to the ground. They're gone. You see, just as a police duty belt holds up all of an officer's weapons. The belt of truth holds up all of our spiritual weapons. And so, church, it's for this reason that we must hold the truth of God's word with high regard. See, one of our core values here at a church is we take the Bible seriously. Why? Because it's, it's, it's life. I mean, this is it. This is how we do life. It's through the lens of God's word. It is so important that we have a biblical worldview as a church. Because that's how we navigate through all the trials and battles and circumstances that life will throw at us. And so it's for this reason we have to take the reading and the studying and the meditating and applying of God's word so seriously. Because the enemy knows, listen, the enemy knows that if he can keep us away from the truth, he will also keep us away from triumph. He knows that. He's smart. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen, Satan's easiest targets are those who are not tied to God's truth. Because those who aren't tied to God's truth are vulnerable prey who can easily be led astray by Satan's lies. And this leads us to the second principle on truth. We have the perversion of truth. The perversion. Speaking about Satan, Jesus said in John 8, 44, here's what he said. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. That's just who he is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, every once in a while, I'll get solicitations in the mail or over the phone from credit card companies. And they always give the same old spiel time and time again. Basically, they tell me how awesome I am, which I'm already aware of how awesome I am. But then, how I qualify for a brand new card with a big old limit and how I'll become one of those preferred customers if I signed up today. And it all sounds really nice and enticing. However, what they never tell you is that if you take advantage of everything that they offer to you, they will own you for the rest of your life. 
Well, church, sadly, there are many people who are owned by the father of lies. At some point in times past, they were enticed by his clever schemes and deceitfully lured into his possession. And one of the primary ways that he lures people into his possession, one of the primary ways, is by promoting the false notion that truth is relative or subjective. In fact, this has been the primary scheme of Satan from the very beginning, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When, when, remember when the serpent said, did God really say? Questioning God's truth. And we all know how that story ended. Adam and Eve believed the great deceiver and sin entered the world. In fact, we see the same pattern repeating itself all throughout Scripture with example after example of people who ignored God's truth for, Satan lies, for Satan's lies. And it always led to their destruction. Look at Judges 21-25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, church, similar to today, the Israelites became their own authority, they acted on their own opinions of right and wrong, and it led to, their ju- to God's judgment and their destruction. Then later in the New Testament, Paul wrote in Romans 1, 25 and 26, he says, they, talking about people, he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a what? A lie. And for this reason, God gave them up. You see, to be given up by God is a picture of his judgment. And so here, Paul reminds us that when people choose to follow the enemy's lies over God's truth, there comes a time when God just turns them over to their own destruction. Church, not much has changed from the days of the Old and New Testament, has it? We're living in a world that has exchanged the the absolute truth of God for a lie. More and more we're being told what's true for you may not be true for me. More and more we're being told to find our truth and that no one could question our truth. The truth, of course, is that this type of thinking is the epitome of stupidity. Two plus two will always and forever equal seven. I had to mess with you a little bit, right? Four. One commentator put it this way, said, truth is not subject to redefinition. You can't redefine what God has already defined. The moment that we try to attempt to redefine what God has already defined, it will inevitably lead to God's judgment and our destruction. But again, this is one of Satan's primary tactics, and he keeps on using it because it works so well. And for those who are caught in the enemy's grip, it's incredibly hard to see past the deceitful hand that holds them. And so this is why fastening ourselves with the belt of truth is so important. The tighter the truth is in us, the looser the grip the enemy can have on us. And so church, knowing this truth, we'd be wise to echo the prayer of David in Psalm 25, where he said, Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And this brings us to the third principle, the purpose of truth. We have God's provision of it. We've seen Satan's perversion of it. Now let's look at the the purpose of it. Look at uh, Ephesians 6.11. So we're going to back up a few verses. Where Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. Read this with me. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There it is. You know, it's been said that federal agents, they don't learn how to spot counterfeit money by studying counterfeit money. Instead, they study the genuine bills, 
until they master the look of the real thing. And then when they see counterfeit money, they can easily recognize it. Well, church, the purpose of putting on the belt of truth, looking at the real thing, the true thing, along with all the other weapons of God's armor, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come, the purpose is, it, is to help us recognize and stand against the devil's schemes. And in my view, when it comes to the belt of truth, there's at least three ways how this is accomplished. So here's the first. Truth provides freedom. Truth provides freedom. Look at what Jesus said in John 8. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And as I mentioned earlier, the ability to move freely on the battlefield is a critical advantage, yes? Well, when the belt of truth is fastened on us, we won't be easily caught in the bondage of the enemy. We're able to freely move uh, through the battles that we face. Second, Truth provides protection. Protection. Look at verse, or Proverbs uh, chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. You see, just as a shield provides protection from the arrows of the enemy, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, God's word provides protection from the trickery of the enemy. And then third, truth provides life change. Life change. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, that word sanctify means to be made holy. And so the more time that we spend immersed in in the word of God, because God's word is truth, and so the more that we spend immersed in God's word, the more like Christ we're going to become. And the more like Christ that we become, the more equipped we are for battle. Does that make sense? One commentator wisely noted, he says, those who have stood firm as great warriors for Christ have been men and women of the word, filled, filled with the eternal truth of Scripture. So church, here's here's what it comes down to. If, If you are finding yourself in the midst of a spiritual battle this morning, perhaps even feeling like you're on the losing end of the battle, Let me encourage you, as Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus, tighten your belt. Tighten your belt. Let me encourage you to gird yourself with the truth of God's word. Let me encourage you to stand firm in resistance to the enemy's attacks. God is faithful. And when you put on God's weapons of warfare, he's going to be faithful to give you victory. And so this takes us to James chapter 4, who I believe says it best. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. What does that mean? I mean, it means so many things, but in light of just the context of today's study, submit yourself to putting on what God has provided for you to win those battles. Put them on. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Eventually, the devil just gets bored and moves to somebody else. But then it keeps going. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And isn't that the position that we want in life? We want a position where we're close with the Lord and far away from the enemy. The way we get there is submitting ourselves, therefore, to God. And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. We must be tightly secured with the truth of Scripture. 
Now, as I close, I would be careless if I didn't mention that the first and most important truth of Scripture is that you must tightly secure yourself. Two is the truth about Jesus and your salvation, right? Let's get back to basics. Because earlier I mentioned that Satan's primary scheme is to make us believe that truth is relative and subjective. And this is especially true, especially true when it comes to your salvation because Satan is after your soul. Satan is deeply committed to drawing you away from the truth about the eternal life that you can have in Christ. And so I want you to listen closely to what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this is the truth that Satan does not want you or your loved ones, or your coworkers, your family, your friends. This is the truth that, that he does not want them or you to hear. Contrary to popular misguided belief, there is only one way to heaven. And that way is through Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that God who is holy made us in his image to know him, but we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. And in his great love, God became a man in Jesus. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And in doing so, he provided the only way for you and me to be saved and receive eternal life. And so I don't know. You know, it's church at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know who's here. I mean, I know who's here. I don't know maybe all of you. I know most of you. But I don't know if you're here, maybe not having never placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation. And if that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation, then as it stands right here, right now, here's the truth of the matter. As it stands right here, right now, when you die, you will go to hell. But here's the good news. The good news is your eternal fate can change right here, right now. Your soul can be saved this morning by repenting of your sins, which means changing your mind or turning away from sin and believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for your forgiveness and your salvation. It's just simply acknowledging and saying, Lord, I believe. I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. And, and I want to accept you as, as my Savior and follow you as my Lord. That's just a decision that you need to make. But if that's you, listen. I'm telling you, don't believe Satan's lies. Don't give him the victory. Because he would like nothing more than to see you presented with an opportunity to receive Christ and put it off. He'd like nothing more than to steal your soul for eternity. You know, all this spiritual battle stuff I'm talking about, he, Paul's talking to believers. The battle begins after you become a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, you may be like, well, I don't want to have any battles, so I'm just going to kind of maybe not do this thing. And I would say the alternative option is life without the Lord and an eternity without the Lord. Friend, don't make that mistake. God is, he loves you and he's gracious to carry you through all of life's battles. So if you need to receive Christ, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you start living in the truth. In fact, if, you, if you'd like some more information about what it means to follow the Lord or uh, 
or whatever. I've got some packets of information up front here. I have a Gospel of John. I've got a, an Ultimate Questions book that you can kind of look through. I would just encourage you at some point before you leave today, come forward, grab one of these packets, come forward and talk with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you if that's something that you're willing to do. But friend, don't put off trusting in Jesus. And for everyone else here this morning, again, if you've got a battle that you're dealing with, I would encourage you, even during this last song as we sing together, uh, give it over to the Lord. If you need to come forward and just pray, you can do that as well. But I invite you to come if you need to this morning. I'd like to invite the praise team forward, and we're going to pray, and we'll wrap things up. And I fully recognize that I said this morning like 20,000 times today. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the belt of truth, God. Thank you that you've given us everything we need to be equipped for the battles that we come to every single day, that we face every single day. And Lord, it's all, it all begins with truth. The truth is what holds us up. And so Lord, uh, this morning, as we wrap things up with our church family, I just pray for those that might be here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, draw them to yourself. Maybe they just need to come forward this morning and trust you and make that decision, solidify that decision. If so, allow them to to come forward and pray to receive you. God, if there's any here in our church body that just need to have a a battle in their life that they just want to kind of give over to you and and trust that you'll take it off their hands and and truly believe that the battle belongs to you, maybe they would come forward as well and and, and give that over to you. But regardless, God, we're thankful for the truth of your word. Thank you for this morning's worship service. Pray your blessing over our people in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.